I'm David Smith, and you're listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kaiser Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. In this series, we'll be talking with researchers and educators who are working to understand how Christian faith affects teaching, learning, and the way we do education. I'm here today talking with Marge Terpstra, who's a professor of education uh, and chair of the education department uh, at Calvin. And we're here to talk about uh, a research project that's been running for the last few years that's going to yield a book in 2020 called uh, Digital Life Together that's going to be out with Erdman's. And this research project focused on uh, how technology is being used in faith-based schools and how changes in technology in the classroom is affecting the life of a Christian learning community. Uh, so, uh, Marge, tell us, what, what drew you into this project? What interests caused you to get involved in something that stole thousands of hours of your time? <laughs> so as a teacher educator who's concerned with developing new teachers, I wanted to know more about how teachers were supported in their learning to teach with technology. So my particular interest in this technology in a Christian school um, project centered on questions around how teachers are using technologies in their classroom and what pedagogical practices supported such work. Um, as part of my work in my own classroom, uh, part of my faith commitment is centers on um, community and how do we build a learning community that's based in biblical principles. So I really wanted to see how teachers were doing that with digital technologies as well. And along the way, through our study, it became evident that we needed to look at the broader school community as well as just classroom communities. So um, a lot of the writing I see just out there on technology and how we should be worried about it, it tends to either be focusing on what it's doing to our brains or our bodies uh, or perhaps focusing on whether it helps the math scores go up and whether it helps educational outcomes. A lot of it seems very individually focused, like what, what, what it's mm. doing to the individual. Exactly. You, you're talking a lot about community. Talk, talk a bit more about what, what are the connections in there. Well, there are a lot of connections to community because as we think about um, individuals within a classroom, they are always interacting with each other. And as a Christian community, we are always interacting with each other, and we come to um, know our place in this world more in relationship to each other. So, and we know with digital technologies, they play on those social relationships as well. And sometimes they can get in the way, and sometimes they can enhance those relationships. So we really wanted to um, analyze what was happening with schools and in classrooms, and in what ways were students be, being nurtured, and um, what did that have to do with their formation as um, Christian individuals who are part of a community? So how did you go about trying to find that out? What kinds of data were you collecting? We had um, several different ways that we collected data. Uh, Kara Sevensma and I particularly focused on the classrooms, and so we did random uh, classroom observations where the teachers didn't know that we were going to be coming. And then we also did case studies. We did 75 of the random classroom observations to get a feel of what's a normal day um, living with and using technology in the classroom. And then we also 
did case studies that were based on units of study that teachers, we had selected teachers who seemed to be particularly thoughtful with their use of technology and uh, who agreed to work with us for a unit where we were there every, nearly every day of that unit of study. Um, and they were from kindergarten through 12th grade. In addition, we gained a lot of um, other insights through focus groups where we sat with a group of six to 10 parents or um, six to 10 teachers um, who were focused in a particular area of study or who were new to the school and then also with school administrators as well. And surveys also informed our work. One of our colleagues, Steve McMullen, um, did a lot of work with surveys of students and alumni and parents and teachers. So all of these different ways gave insights um, and checked each other. And you, David, should probably talk about your work <laughs> with the artifacts. Yeah, we also, I was involved in this project too. We also collected uh, a little over 28,000 uh, artifacts from the school, lots of uh, documents, training materials, uh, parent communications covering a 10 year period in the school's history. So this wasn't just like a single slice, just looking at one element of what's going on. It was actually quite a rich body of data trying to get this sort of 360 degree view of what was going on in the school community. So so what did you find? What were some of the things that uh, that you discovered? So I, I'm going to just give one quick example of how those different methods informed the work. Uh, in one parent focus group, parents were talking about how much screen time their students were um, seeing and viewing and because of their work at school all day and um, their work at home and the another researcher and I looked at each other and thought that's not what we saw in the classrooms so it was really important to have both of those pieces um, informing the work so in terms of community uh, two areas that I think are important are looking at parental roles and um, the school had always been, had a rich history of having a partnership with parents. They really talked about church, home, and school and how all of those were important for the development of young people. So they had that history. Parents were very much involved in volunteering and attending uh, parent-teacher conferences, but they found themselves in some new roles. One that we uncovered was they were really serving as an authentic audience. Teachers began, um, because of the, the way that they could use digital technologies, students could share their, their digital work much more easily. And much of the discussions pedagogically have been around um, students are more motivated when they have an authentic audience. So teachers had picked up on that. So parents were the audience for a persuasive paper that students had to write. Parents attended presentations where students, the high school students presented um, their pitch for a new product to a Shark Tank audience. So there were many of those um, examples where parents found themselves more involved in their student learning. So, so how was the technology changing this? Because before the technology came along, parents could look at their students' homework, they could look at projects, they could come to parent evenings. What what were they hoping was gonna change as a result of adopting digital technologies and, and what was changing? So they were, they were hoping 
um, that students would begin to see how their work mattered beyond the classroom. And so by developing these authentic audiences, and the parents are just a slice of those authentic audiences, right? The school is really aiming to help students see that they could change the world for Christ through the digital technologies. And they wanted to connect parents as well and extend beyond the school day um, so that students could be working on their projects and um, that they could be sharing with their parents um, and helping them engage and be connected. So, with so sharing school. with their parents, this is making web pages, email mm. blasts. Uh, um, making right, making web pages, making movies, um, making. Um, yeah, many times the elementary teachers would, on their blog posts, they would include student work so that parents could see that. And the teachers would quickly send an email to parents so that when they're at work, when they're at home, they would get that connection right. immediately so they could see what their children were working on. So the parent can actually be involved in what the student's doing in class during the school day and not have to wait until the weekend. Or, or dig through that backpack right. and way on the bottom of the backpack find that crumpled up note or piece of artwork as well. Right. So, so was this this was all working out beautifully? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, parents were pleased with that piece. But as we um, surveyed parents, um, mo most of them were very much on board with the project, saying that they really felt that um, having the digital technologies was enabling students and preparing students to be ready for the for high, the world beyond high school, life beyond high school. Um, but they also um, talked about, when we surveyed them about what kind of conversations did they have with their students at home about technologies, they were having the conversations. Many times it was around discernment and ethics and around um, how technology influences human relationships and communication but it wasn't as much around how um, students and children and families can use technologies to change the world, to reach the world for Christ. So it seemed like the school was emphasizing that piece of it as well as ethical and discernment issues, and parents were picking up on the other part of it. Parents also on a survey um, were not nearly as um, in agreement as to how much the school had helped them with their parenting role with digital technologies. So about half of the parents agreed that yes, the school had helped them with that, but over or nearly a quarter were saying, I don't agree with that. And in our focus groups too, we heard parents saying, we wish that we had more guidance on mm -hmm. this as well. So I remember one parent in a focus group talking about how um, they felt like if the students work got emailed them to them during the day they they looked at it they enjoyed it but then by the time they got home and their child came home in the evening it was already in the past and it didn't generate the conversation that would have happened in the past when when the child brought a piece of paper home which i thought was was kind of interesting how right. you'd got sort of increased accessibility but it was also at least for that parent they sensed that it was taking away this conversational opportunity that they used to have. So right. it seemed like at least some of the parents were just starting themselves to wonder about some of the specific contours of how this was working and how it was right. changing the way the community functioned. Right, uh, and precisely when, and parents also talked about when they'd get the email blast, right, 
pretty soon there became so many emails that it was difficult to click on them all and read them and keep track of them as well, right? So the communication was increased and teachers felt they were putting their work out there so that um, parents could see it. But it became evident that just because it was out there didn't mean that it was accessed by parents necessarily either. So I heard a little bit in focus groups as well of like sometimes parents voicing the sense that the school should be telling us more and the school voicing the sense that parents aren't listening to what we're telling them. I, I wonder if this information overload was a big part of that that kind of gap that was opening up. Um, right. That it seems to be there. As the school talked about how they had set up some trainings, but parents wouldn't attend necessarily either. Right. Yeah. So... Uh, I think that partnership was still very strong, um, and parents appreciated how teachers were responsive to their students, but they, and, and teachers also talked about how parents' roles had changed in that um, we've chosen to have this digital device, this laptop that has so many uses, and in some ways has many distractions with it. and. Um, there are positives and negatives with it. And here now we have sent it, we've made the decision to do it, but yet parents have to deal with it at home when it goes home. And so to really think about, I think your artifacts also showed that some of the trainings were um, more about um, filtering and monitoring right. rather than conversations about how do we use this well, where do we have it? How does it fit in our family's um, structure and, and our commitments? And where does it get used and how often does it get used? Yeah, the artifact suggested a real transition over time where, where in, in the early stages when things were launched, there was this big vision about you know, parents' authentic audiences that you talked about and uh, bringing the whole community together through technology. And yet sometimes later when it came to actually writing policy documents and parent handbooks for laptops and so on the information for parents just had this big emphasis on how not to break the laptop uh how to charge it overnight how to handle internet filters it was all very kind of practical and sort of managing the technological resource plus a, a reaching out around this concern of how to keep the moral boundaries how to filter out the bad material uh but we didn't find a lot in the documents that was about this bigger challenge of teaching discernment with with technology in the home um certainly there's it sounds like parents were wishing for a bit more of that exactly and we noticed over the course of our study the increase in personal devices as well so here are laptops that go home with students but what about their their own phones and um, parents navigating that it, it's I think we received a sense in the focus groups when parents sat you know there are six to ten parents discussing they really appreciated that discussion time just mm -hmm. what are we doing so there seemed to be a real sense of um, wanting more community more community support more parental um, discussions about how do we live into this together because my choice as a parent impacts you as a parent as well when our children are friends, when they are interacting. And the school's um, choice impacts both of us. Exactly, right? so, yeah. exactly, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so we talked a little bit about you know, the parent side of community, trying to draw parents into the community. What, what, what other parts of this were you looking at? 
So it also became evident as parents talked and teachers talked, as I just said, that that work for students spread outside of the school day, outside of the school walls, and um, in, into home and to other places. But that also meant that um, teachers' work spread beyond school walls and the school day. So teachers talked about, on the positive side, how student learning extended and that when students had questions they could email teachers and teachers could respond to them so that it wasn't the next morning when students walked in class and said I didn't get any of this um, teachers could say uh, I we already talked about it via email and so students weren't stuck which was a wonderful thing but then there were the stories of the parents saying you know I walked, walked past my um, son who was sitting by the laptop just kind of staring at it. And I said, so what's going on? And student said, oh, I'm waiting for Mr. So-and-so to respond. I had a question, so I sent an email. So I'm waiting for his response. And the parent just kind of laughing, saying, I know that the teacher is a coach and is outside coaching right now, and they are not going to get a response for a while, right? So navigating those expectations of, yes, this is available, but am I a 24-7 teacher that I'm always So it seemed like some of the students had internalized that kind of expectation that because there was this online interface that they ought to be able to access their teachers at any hour of the day or night. (laughs) Precisely, precisely. And parents also, right? Mm -hmm. Parents having the expectation that um, you have the technology in your classroom so therefore when I have a question you're going to be checking it right away. Um, Teachers talked about how some parents might email at 2.45 saying I'm going to be picking up my child will you have them ready and those of us who have been teachers know how crazy it is in an elementary classroom that teachers are not checking their email they are in relationship with their students and always working with them. So those I, I was actually in another school just recently, totally unconnected with this project, uh, observing a student teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a secondary school, but watched a teacher who actually had her laptop on a stand at the front of the classroom and was sort of teaching in these like five to ten minute bursts and then checking email. Um, in between. In between, right. Uh, right. which led to this really bizarre kind of classroom rhythm where the teacher was only about sort of two-thirds present, uh, but Precisely. apparently was having to deal with these, you know, checking if the student who hadn't shown up for class had sent her an email to s- explain why she wasn't there and so on. But right. it created this really odd sense of partial presence in the classroom. Exactly. Uh, and that's, I, I think that word presence is really important, right? The the presence that can extend beyond um, physical presence and so exploring that and what presence is expected um, when students are at home when they are elsewhere so um, teachers also talked about that um, how parents expected responses or students expected those immediate responses and um, also some teachers in dealing with that uh, one teacher talked about how when he received emails in the evening. He said, generally, I feel like students are at the point of saying, okay, I've tried everything I can, so I'm checking with my teacher. So rather than just giving them the answer, this teacher would point them to resources. Um, He had developed video explanations and um, posted resources on the learning 
learning management system so that students could easily um, access it there. So it's all about, it's not I who is the expert and the only one who can answer your questions, but here are some other resources to go check them out there. And of course, all of these are tasks that that teacher didn't have 10 years ago, creating this whole infrastructure of videos and guides and and so on. Right. Um, And that expanding workload, too, as we mentioned before, teachers doing blogs. So they used to write a weekly letter, right? Maybe that said, here's what's going on for the week, or here's what happened last week, here are the assignments, Um, here's the Bible memory, right? Here's a test, here are the spelling words for elementary. And now they were keeping up the blog. And principals had expressed an expectation that teachers would do that. Uh, They wanted to move away from those papers to an online presence. And teachers talked about, right, it's one thing to write, but then it's another to upload videos and to capture videos and always be thinking about having a camera to take pictures of students and, and share what student work was. So I was struck in some of the focus groups talking to teachers how um, a lot of the teachers seem to have internalized this sense that everyone else was being more heroic than they were mm-hmm. at keeping up with all of this. And that created a pressure to answer more emails, to write more blog posts, to you know to create more materials because of this sort of this unspoken sense that everybody else is keeping up and I'm the only one who's not keeping up, so I ought Mm -hmm. to be doing more. Um, Was that your sense too, that there was this kind of, that the expectations were perhaps not being managed as well as they could be within the community? There were a few people who were setting some boundaries and saying, I will not be on after 9 p.m. at night, or please know that I coach during this time, so I will not be responding. But there seemed to be an overwhelming sense of we need to respond and we need to answer and this we need to be on. So it became very clear that some norms need to be set up, right? That the school needed to discuss some of those and make them explicit with parents and with teachers and administration so that it's not that feeling of, oh, I have to do this, right? How do we, it's one of those pieces that before was, nobody had to deal with, right? Because you might, a parents might call a teacher at night, but the accessibility was not there. And even if parents sent an email, parents might say, I'm sending this now because now is when I'm thinking about it, but I'm not expecting an email until the next day. But they didn't always communicate that, right? right? So setting those, those norms of saying, this is how we're going to live with these technologies and live in community um, for the, so that everyone can thrive and um, have the energy that they need. But the community would need to do that explicitly and intentionally, right? It can't be left to what I think everybody else is doing. Right, right. So, right. Yeah. so it seems we, we've been gradually moving here towards this more complex picture of what technology might be doing in schools, right? That it, it, it might be affecting the math scores, but it's also affecting how we use time and how present the teacher might be to the class and how parents communicate with teachers and whether parents feel involved with their students' homework and what conversations happen when the student gets home at five o'clock. I mean, this is a, it's a, it's a big complex picture. Like everything's changing at once, right? You, right? you can't just sort of pick out one variable and say, this is what technology is doing. It, it's changing the whole ecology, right? The whole, the whole environment. Absolutely, yeah. right. It's not just what's happening in this classroom, right? It is so much larger than that. Yeah. And I think it's a good pointer for us, not just in schools, but to think about that for churches, for um, for our Christian communities, for our neighborhoods, right? How 
when we are on our laptops in the evening, we're not outside with our neighbors, right? All of those pieces are really, I think that made that much more clear that, as you said, it is an ecology. Mm. It's much richer than that and the networks involved in that. So, so we've literally just dipped into a couple of findings out of a very large and, and varied project. Uh, there's lots more in the book, but is, is there like one takeaway you want to leave people with uh, for, for this conversation? Like what, what's one, one useful thought to go away with out of, out of the things we've talked about? I would focus on the norms. What community norms have been made explicit? Which ones have been discussed? And how do we keep revisiting those? Right, so as schools are navigating digital technologies, because all of them are in one way or another, whether they are one-to-one -one situations or not, what are our expectations and how can we make those clear so that everyone knows what to expect from each other and can renegotiate them when it doesn't seem to be working as well? Thank you. Thank you for the conversation. Yeah, thanks for talking. Uh, yeah, the book, uh, Digital Life Together, uh, The Challenge of Technology for Christian Schools, uh, comes out with Erdman's in, in May 2020 uh, and has a lot more detail and a lot more findings about how technology is changing Christian classrooms. Uh, and we'll talk about some more of those findings likely on another occasion. Uh, but that's it for today. And uh, we'll be back with more topics another day. You've been listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kaiser Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. Learn more at www.pedagogy.net. <laughs>